1: What an episode we have for you today. Now, here's the deal. If you're listening to this episode and you feel your mind wander or you get distracted, you have to rewind and go back because if you don't catch everything that our guest today, our guest is Jason Bay, who is the vice president and franchise head of Dompe, and we'll get into who they are and what they are here in a second, but if you, if you miss anything, you're going to regret it. You can look at the show notes all you want, you can skim through the podcast, but this Episode is full of absolute gold. Uh, Jason is an experienced leader with a demonstrated history of working in the biotech and pharmaceutical industry. He has held numerous positions, including sales, sales leadership, marketing, operations, business development training, and executive roles. He is skilled in building and leading teams, strategic planning, leading innovation and change, collaborating across departments, and driving executional excellence. Jason has experience in both established and startup environments, and that's where he finds himself now in a startup environment with Dompe. Although they have been around for quite a while, they are globally headquartered in Milan, Italy, but here in the United States, they are considered startup. And with Dompei, Jason was responsible for building a new pharmaceutical startup here in the US. As I mentioned, he successfully launched a product brand in company. Now get this in approximately only five months. And in doing that, the number one trade he looked for in hiring the right people to join the team was an entrepreneurial spirit. Jason really believes that that mindset is different, okay? There's the work ethic, the ability to make decisions without all the information, the ability to articulate their why and their purpose, their vision uh, and their mission. We're going to talk about creating the culture and engaging the team in that process and how important that was for his launch, okay, and their ability to sustain success. We're also going to talk about something that I find really cool. Being specific when celebrating the small successes. Jason points out that we are very specific when it comes to where we fail, but very general in how we succeeded. And we'll talk about doing the little things. Jason Bay absolutely bleeds, oozes and lives and breathes the athletics of business mindset. And I'm really excited. And Jason, uh, Is also a a Creighton Blue Jay, a former Creighton Blue Jay basketball player. Uh, He does have a little bit more youth on his side than I do. He started at Creighton in 91, uh, an incredible high school career. And I must say this about Jason. The one thing that's always attracted me to him and always impressed me with him is his ability to genuinely and sincerely connect with people. So I really hope you enjoy this podcast. Jason, thank you so much for joining us on the Athletics of Business podcast. I am I'm fired up and I'm humbled to to have you on this. This is long overdue. We should have done this a while ago. You and I go way back, but hey, man, I, I really appreciate you being here.
0: No, thanks, thank you, Ed. It's uh it's my pleasure. I mean, knowing your history and the respect that I have for you and all the great things that you're doing, uh, it's an honor. So I'm happy to be here.
1: Well, I appreciate the kind words and and and. Just full disclosure here, Jason, and I go way back. And I think, Jason, I think the first time I met you was your recruiting visit
0: at Creighton. Yes. I don't know if we can go down that path and sharing some of the stories, but no doubt. (laughs) Well, I think
1: we were walking in the St. John's Cathedral, to be honest with you, when we first met (laughs) Yeah, No,
0: I knew of you, the history, right? Yeah, no, we (laughs) history. yeah, That's for sure.
1: Yeah, great place. The Creighton Creighton Blue Jays, and and obviously, uh, but yeah, but I met you on your career visit. Obviously, knew of, of you and about you, um, in, in all your basketball glory, and 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 being good friends with with someone I have so much respect for, Tommy Klein Schmidt, and and you guys are two peas in a pod. The way you do things, and 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 the way you do things is what I really want to get into. Um, currently Vice President, Franchise Head of DomPay, and can you tell our listener a little bit about what DomPay is, because they're new to the U.S., um, and the, the traits and skills that you're using to, to build out your team there aren't new, um, they're unbelievable, and, and we'll get into your whole career path, but, but fill us in a little bit about what you're doing now, who you're doing it with, and, and some of the things you've got going on.
0: Absolutely. So Dompe is a a company based out of Italy, out of Milan uh, that originated in about the 1930s. So it's a pharma biotech company. So uh, we are new to the U.S. to to your point. Um, I was brought on board in August of last year and then we received an approval uh, for our product about 21 days later. And I was uh, responsible for helping build a team in five months and getting out there and launching a very innovative product. Uh, For rare and progressive eye disease that can lead to vision loss. So um, yeah, it's been it's been a great ride as as I kind of look back at my career and I can't believe I'm saying this, but I've been in the industry, pharma biotech industry for 20 plus years. So if you think about it, all the all the lessons learned and experiences, now, now I'm at a startup, so it's been a really unique opportunity for me because all those lessons learned at the bigger companies and the great training that you receive, you certainly apply those uh, because, you know, things get a little bit more aggressive and a little bit more, um, um, I don't know what the word is. I, I guess there's higher risk when you're at a startup, so I, I feel like I was able to prepare myself for this ride.
1: So let's go back to, I want to get to the higher risk with the startup here in a second, but let's start with how did you build a a team that you believed in that you were comfortable with? How did you go about doing that in such a compressed timeframe?
0: Yeah, you know, I I think that's where networking comes into play. And, you know, as long as I've been in this industry, I realize it's a small industry, like all, right? It's a small world to say the least. But how you treat people and the relationships that you develop over the years, come full circle. And I was able to tap into my network, one, being in the industry for so long, but then also knowing uh, this particular market being in ophthalmology, I wanted to target some folks who had that experience. But I'll be honest with you, there was one trait that I was looking for, regardless of someone's experience. And I was looking for people who had this entrepreneurial spirit or fire, right? Uh, Regardless of where they came from, whether it was small companies or big companies, I think that's really been the common thread of the folks that we went after, because I knew it took a different kind of mindset to want to build something from the ground up. So I think that's really where I put my focus in building out this team. So let me, let's talk into
1: that a little bit because that's awesome because you see that so much and and there's so many different paths we can go down with that, but the entrepreneurial spirit, the different kind of mindset, what kind of things, what kind of conversations, what things did you look for to identify those traits in
0: uh, your potential hires? You know, I think um, work ethic is, 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 a kind of a no-brainer. Um, people being able to make decisions without always having all the information. Um, people who who've had some failure, they've had some some challenges, and how do they overcome that? Because when you're in startup mode, you're going to hit some bumps in the road. So you want people who've had a history where they've had challenge and they they've been able to overcome them. So those are also some things that I look for: is how does somebody articulate the experience that they went through? You know, what were the lessons learned, and how did they apply them in other experiences? So those were just critical things that we were looking at. Um, as it relates to type of profile, and of course you wanted someone with a successful track record, but they had to have that mindset where, you know, they, they can, they can overcome some of the bumps in the road that, that you're certainly going to encounter, especially in, in a startup. Uh,
1: it, one of the things I like to talk about is leaving your Jersey in a better place. And I, would like to, to think that I came up with that, but I, 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 pulled that out of the book by James Kerr legacy about the New Zealand, um, rugby club, the all blacks, which is an awesome book. Um, but how do you, how much weight do you put on? And one of the things I really do talk about is what's the legacy that people that I'm going to hire, what are, what's the legacy that they'll leave at the place that they're, that they're leaving, right? So what will their legacy mm-hmm. be
0: there? How much do you look at that? You know, I think that's important for all of us. Like, what's our legacy that we're going to leave wherever we're at, right? And, and, you know, and that's actually a pretty good question. I've, I have asked something similar to that to some folks. is You know, when you look back at your career, 10, 20 years, whatever it is, say, at Dog what do you want your legacy to be? And it's amazing to see some of the the, the answers that people will provide. So I think that, that that's really important because it tells you a lot about a person and what's important to them. What are their values? I mean, you could talk about skills all day long, right? But that really brings to life someone's personal values. And I certainly believe you should have alignment and values. I don't think you have to be the same as it relates to all of your experiences, but you definitely want people with similar types of values. And those certainly come to light when people start to talk about their legacy or what they want that to be.
1: See, and I love how this all comes together because when you start talking about alignment and you start talking about values and you start talking about having the ability to make decisions without all the information, you know, one of the things we talk a lot about my clients and I is authenticity being an authentic leader, not just, you know, an authentic leader in terms of your team, but an authentic leader of yourself, which, you know, to me, Mm -hmm. you break it down into honesty, integrity, um, and, and, that will lead to resiliency, right? But but how important for you is folks that you bring on board for them to really maximize their potential for their values to align with what roles they have within
0: your organization? You know, I think that's that's the most important thing. I mean, that, that's the the equalizer, the game changer as it relates to people's values, and because that drives everything, right? That's the root of everything you do and and where you're going to end up is the type of person that you bring on board and. I don't know if it's as much about the role as it's just about the person and, and who they are and how they look at life, because that's going to have a big impact in how successful they are, regardless of the role, right? So, um, alignment and values is everything, and it really gets to kind of the why you do what you do, and I think that's that's a big driver, a corporation as well as an individual
1: is it important to you in the recruiting process in the interview process and it could be a casual cup of coffee you're having with someone or or, or more of a formal dinner when you're sitting down talking that they can articulate to you their why
0: you know absolutely and it's it's funny that you say that uh, I'm a huge fan of Simon Sinek uh, I've been to some workshops I mean, right. I mean, yeah. And anybody who hasn't read his book or been involved in one of their workshops, I mean, that that was a real game changer for me. I I leveraged that. uh, That's a previous company and and building out a team. But that 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 really is the core. And And it's not always what you do and how you do it. But why? What is your purpose? Right. So, you know, what is someone's purpose and what drives them? Certainly. Gives you a lot of insight into that person, so I think that could be a really deep conversation. Sometimes it's better over a cup of coffee or lunch opposed to a real formal interview, right? But but those are some real deep conversations that uh, really helps you understand what's really underneath and what's really at the core of somebody as a person.
1: So let let let's say you bring someone in, and they've got they they check off seven of the eight boxes, but one of the boxes they don't check off you feel like that might compromise the culture that you've worked so hard to build. And I know we talk about this in athletics, you know, athletics all the time, but how are are you willing to compromise what you've worked for in terms of culture with the fact that you might drive some massive numbers over the
0: short term? Absolutely not. Uh, No, I don't think you ever compromise culture. That's a core to everything that you do. And if there's a person that, that, Compromises that it's not worth it i don't care how smart they are or how many sales they may generate or, or revenue It's not worth it because ultimately over time it it, it could be cancerous to the overall camaraderie of a team, especially in a startup environment right you can't you can't have one weak link on a team because every person matters you're wearing multiple hats right you're driving the bottom line you don't have as much headcount as some of the larger organizations. so if you have one weak link, you have to be quick to move them out of the organization or Hopefully not bring them on board if they're not going to be the right fit, regardless of how talented are their experience
1: and what i what I like to think and, and and this absolutely goes back to my days of coaching college basketball when you take that stand and you 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 take a stand for your culture and you build this culture that's uh, is worth fighting for, that also sends a message to your current people
0: does it not absolutely it does and and uh, and because not only are you saying it but you're showing it right and then it's people are more likely to follow you when they see you. Leading that way. So it, it actually builds more camaraderie and a, more of a, a closeness when they can actually see you um, act as it relates to, to what you're speaking to around values and culture, et etc. So yeah, absolutely.
1: What and you know you talk about connecting with people and, and, and sending messages, to your people you you are from the minute I first met you, and I, and I mean it sincerely, because I I I remember exactly where it was the first time that we actually had a conversation um in the setting that we were in. But you just had that ability to connect with people and to to just get right to a normal conversation where you feel like you've been friends for a long time. How do you do that? How do you connect with your folks now? Building a team, a startup in the United States, how do you communicate, connect to communicate your culture to them? And to help them to sustain the faith and, and to keep them uh, inspired moving forward because of all the setbacks that you, it's normal to face with a, a startup.
0: Yeah, you know, I think the unique thing when you're, when you're building a startup organization, um, you're co-creating, right? I think that's the difference. A lot of times people would ask me, what is the culture? As I was hiring them, I said, well, you know, I've been on board, say, a month. Um, what do you want the culture to be? Because we're going to do this together. I said, that's the, that's what's different in a startup versus an established company. We're going to build that together. So I, I would kind of reframe that conversation as it relates to culture and say, let's go down this path. What do you want it to be? right? And how do we get there together? And I think... When when you do it together, then it's 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 real, right? It means something. It's more substantial. People can, can hold on to it. They can grasp it. It's tangible, right? Um, so I think I was able to reframe it a bit just due to the circumstances of a company that is new and is trying to build something that's unique and build it together.
1: So when you co-created and you reframed it in that way and you flipped it on them and they were able to have some sort of say in what the culture was going to be. How much of an emotional attachment did that get? Because we, we talk a lot about not just buying, but believing. How much mm-hmm. of an emotional attachment did that, did that Excuse me,
0: did that get from your people? Well, it's huge. Like, so here's what happens in a lot of big companies. You, your leadership goes and has a workshop and you hire a vendor, you spend a lot of money and you come out with these fancy taglines around culture and what it means, but you don't involve the team, right? So we were really raw. Like, we got on some whiteboards, we talked about it a few things that we thought were important, and then we invited them into the conversation. Now, what does this mean? What's important to you? Then it's more real and believable, right? We were, we were able to be raw. We didn't spend a lot of money on a, on a big exercise, but I think it resonated more because it was real, and I think people appreciated, like, wait a minute, we're a part of this. You're not telling us what the culture is. You're asking us what, you, what we want it to be, so I think that was really the difference, and then there's certainly a, a much greater emotional connection uh, when you kind of go about it that way.
1: And I love the fact that you just said, and it sounds ironic coming from someone whose business is based around leadership consulting. But I love the fact that you say you didn't spend a lot of money on a vendor to come in and give you the taglines. I've always believed, I've always believed that your culture, your values, what you stand for, has to be you know come internally, not externally. And mm-hmm. one of the things I, I like, I like dealing. And this absolutely comes from uh, the athletic background, which is why I love this brand so much. But I, I absolutely believe in the in accepting the reality, reality of the situation, not settling for it, but accepting it. Okay. So here's who we are in this room. Here's what we are and here's what we want to be. Now, how do we get there together and, and being able to facilitate that together had to be pretty powerful. Now, how often do you refer back to, and I want to get into a little bit of the results of that time together, but how do you, how often do you refer back to the things that you committed to on paper?
0: yeah frequently i mean we we created some guiding principles that we wanted to focus on together so i think if you if it's not frequent um i mean even on a weekly basis and then you're not living it it's not real and it's not sustainable right so it's something that we try to live with on a weekly basis like one of them is around you know recognition and so that's something that i try to do every week on a consistent basis uh so you can live it and feel it so it has to be frequent otherwise you you lose it and, and people can't hold on to it. And you don't want them to forget. You, it's easier to live it when you see it and you feel it every, every day or every week. So I think the frequency is really, really important.
1: Now, we, uh, recognition. So celebrate the small successes. How vital is that? How critical is that to do in your guys' situation in terms of a startup and really for any entrepreneur out there? And and here's, you know, and you and I know this and, and we've had these conversations, but, uh, you know, entrepreneurs to me, you look at the finance industry, you look at people in the mortgage industry, you look at people that uh, are managing people's money. I mean, every, every job, if you can develop that entrepreneur spirit, it's so key like you said so how important is it to celebrate the small successes
0: you know i think it's everything for a couple of reasons one it it keeps the momentum right because you have this big goal that you're going after but if you don't celebrate those small milestones along the way you lose momentum you lose some excitement but also you want people to replicate some of the behaviors that it takes to get to those small milestones right so so i think there's an incredible amount of value along that continuum to get to that bigger goal to call things out and it's okay to pat yourself on the back. I think a lot of times as high achievers, you're hard on yourself and you're only thinking about the big goal and you sometimes forget about the small milestones that get you there. Right? So collectively as a group, the more you can do that and doing it in an authentic way as well is important. Um, It's amazing how much energy that your team can feed off of that, that type of communication and, and recognition. What are
1: some of the small successes that you're real intentional about recognizing in front of, in front of everybody?
0: You know, I think it's sometimes the smaller things that happen that people aren't noticing. Like it's easy for to get up or put in an email, "Hey, you, your sales are up by X percent compared to the rest of the people." But I like to get into some of the field leaders and get some examples about a conversation, for example, that someone had with a doctor that maybe changed his or her uh, mindset. Maybe they didn't prescribe immediately, but there was something that they did specifically to influence that individual. So it's how do you dig deep, pull out something that's very tangible and real. And bring that to life, opposed to generalities. Because I think <clears throat> here's here's what happens with with recognition. I look at it the same thing as when I'm coaching somebody, right? When you're critical of somebody, you're very specific, aren't you? Right? This is the behavior I didn't see. But many times when we reward people, we speak in generalities, and we don't get just as specific as when we're being critical. So the more specific you are with a certain behavior or accomplishment, one, it feels more real and and authentic, but then two, it's a lot easier to mimic or replicate as, as, a, as a colleague, right? So that's something that I try to take pride in as it relates to any type of recognition.
1: Uh, think about what you just said is huge. It, when we celebrate successes, when we acknowledge successes, when we reward people, um, whether it be when we give them awards quarterly or, or yearly, whatever the case may be, or we send out that email that we've all seen, like when you hit a sales milestone each month and we do talk and what we really celebrate, we celebrate the byproduct of the real things, the little victories that went into it. Like you talk about digging deeper mm-hmm. with the doctor and, and getting specific. I think that is a, that is a huge point. And did you ever find like when you, when you brought folks on board that they weren't used to it, that that was
0: something that had never been done for them before? No, I don't know if it has never been done, but it's, I don't see it. I don't think it's common. You can see a bigger response when you are specific or you can feel it. You can feel it. You can feel the energy from the person that's receiving the feedback. For example, I sent before we got on this call, three text ma- uh, messages to three people that I thought were doing really well and gave them some specific examples of, why I thought they were doing well and it's, and it's amazing even the response back to you you can you can feel it you can feel a difference because of the specificity and the fact that you took the time to, to do that
1: and when you have and, and if, if you keep hearing a pen drop is because I can't stop taking notes right now Jason. this is this is awesome um, when When you have a meeting and all of a sudden you start sharing stories and, and sharing the little victories and success stories about how someone may have done something with doctor or how somebody processed a certain situation, when you do that, does a team create more positive energy, and when they do, do they be, do they get closer together?
0: Do they become closer as a team? Absolutely, it lifts a team, right? It lifts the morale. Um, It also, you're creating an environment where you can learn from others. And it's real, right? Um, And and people feed off each other. And everybody wants to learn from each other. Certainly, everybody's different in how they're motivated and and how they respond and if they want recognition and how they want recognition. But at the end of the day, everybody's seeking to learn more. Everybody has a certain level of curiosity. And there's no better way to do that in a venue that you can share and and learn from each other in a very authentic way. So it certainly lifts a team, I think, to a whole different level.
1: So... Here's where I'm going with that. Now that you've done that, now we've talked about the positives and the successes, and, and we know that the foundation of any positive culture is safety, right? Somewhere you can go and get mm-hmm. outside your comfort zone and, and you can grow and you can take risks, you can take chances. When you do this and you become closer as a team and, and you start to be a family, not just be like a family, how much does that level up and lift the level of everybody's ability to be held accountable, hold each other accountable
0: and hold themselves accountable? Well, I think it certainly helps, and accountability to me comes with trust. You know, do you trust your leadership? Do you trust yourselves based on how you've been prepared? Do you trust your teammates and do you trust the organization? So. I, I've, I've been in organizations or teams over the years where you have a leader stand up there and they're saying, well, you're accountable for this, or this is what my ask is, but you never establish trust, right? When you establish trust, it's a heck of a lot easier because you already have people following you without even asking, right? And they have a very clear picture of why they're doing what they're doing and everybody's aligned on the purpose. So it's a heck of a lot easier to motivate someone and hold them accountable. And then because what's happening is they're holding themselves accountable, right? You're, hopefully you're hiring somebody who, who creates such a high bar that you can't even match how high they're holding themselves, right, to that level. But, but it's a heck of a lot easier to, to truly hold a collective team accountable when you establish that trust. And that trust comes from building the right culture, being real and honest with each other. Uh, and that certainly helps you go a long way.
1: So let's talk about let's talk about the culture that you have built to get you to that level of trust. What are some of the things that, in your time together when you you co-created this culture, what are some of the things that came out of it?
0: You know it, it, it's funny like we, we try to create some some guiding principles. Now there's a culture that's been established, you know Dante's been around for a long time, based out of Milan, incredible company, incredible people, and they have some long lasting values. What we wanted to do is, all right, well what are some guiding principles that we want to apply? In, in the United States that that makes sense for this team that we're growing that we're building here. Honestly, one of the first things as we were on the whiteboard that came, came out of it was being real and and honest, that simple, right? Because how many times have you been in an organization where you never felt, you, you just don't quite feel like something's real, right? Or you don't feel like the, the leader is authentic. Um, but that was, that's been kind of the core of of where we're at now i've always been a believer that why can't your organization be a family right like why can't you create a because i say that is think about your family and close friends who are you most real and honest with who's most real and honest with you it's your spouse it's your best friend it's the people in your circle and your local community so i always aspire to try to work with my team to create that at work because you have that same environment you're going to be real, and you're going to be honest, and you're not going to take offense to it because you know the person on the other end cares about you, right? And
1: that's that—that's huge. You know, I just one of the things I, I, I love to talk about is you know being a family, not being like a family. And you think about the amount of time you spend together with the folks in your organization, the amount of struggles and successes you experience together. But and this is something that I took away, and, and really uh, playing for my dad in high school and playing for for Coach B uh, at Creighton, my first two years. I, I mean, I would I, to this day even if i haven't talked to you in 15 years but if i was your teammate at either of those places i'd take a bullet for you literally i mean mm-hmm. we we were family we did everything together i mean we saw each other struggle we saw each other succeed you know yeah we could bust each other's stones but god help you if you came from the outside and tried to insult one of us <laughs> you know yep. it wasn't it yep. wasn't going to work out real well for you and we we wanted We wanted each other to. We wanted each other to succeed, and that's my next question for you. How important to you is it inside your culture, and as you recruit to your culture, to bring on people that can genuinely be excited when their teammates experience success?
0: You know that that's uh, wow. That's so important. I mean, whether it's athletically or it's in a business world, you've got to find a way to get to the root of. Of of who the person is, and are they genuinely happy for others when they succeed? You know, or are they so competitive that they 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 have blinders on and they can't be excited or happy for others? I mean, that could be the detriment of any team, right? Think about athletically or in the business world. If you have people, it's okay to be competitive and competitive with yourself and even competitive with each other. But if that gets in the way of wanting to see others succeed, you're not going to make it. You're not going to make it as as a sports team. You're not going to make it as an organization. So, how you question and how you get a a better understanding of that in the recruiting process is so critical and you hope that you get it right. Um, but hope usually those, those qualities come through pretty clearly um, through an interview or just, just a conversation. You can, you can get a feel for, for someone's makeup as it relates to that. There's no doubt.
1: When when you're in the, when you're in the mix and and I'm going to presume here, and this could be, this could be going out on a limb and being a little bit too presumptuous, but you've had your struggles and we can talk about that. You've had your struggles. How do you keep your people dialed in and, and keep the faith when, when things look, I hate to use the word bleak, but when things are challenging.
0: Yeah. You know, I think acknowledgement, you know, and, Acknowledging the situation because sometimes you don't want to gloss over it. you don't want to act like something's not tough, right um and And I think when you acknowledge people respond, and also I think what's important in, if things go bleak or things go south is and this is something we've adopted. It's another mantra that we've kind of rallied around at Dante is take a we not them approach, and what I mean by that is think about it when when tough gets when stuff gets hard, there's a human tendency at times to point fingers, right. But if you take a we not them approach, regardless of the circumstances or regardless of how tough something is, it's pretty amazing how people will rally when you're not pointing fingers. You're like, you know what, guys, let's do this together. We acknowledge it. We're in it together. And then for me, it's being confident of the team that I've assembled, right, that they're going to appropriately assess the situation and take the best course of action moving forward. And then lastly, at the end of the day, no matter how bad something gets, you have to communicate, communicate, communicate. You can't hide from it you know, you hopefully learn from the situation and you move on. But a lot of times I've seen where you kind of give a little bit of information or you gloss over it or you're not real with people and then you lose trust and and then you don't even get to the solution and it could just be detrimental to a team or an organization.
1: And talk a little bit about that, getting to the solution. How significant is it and do you talk about it with your people to be a part of the solution and not part of the problem?
0: Every day, it's wild. It's like you're taking words out of my mouth. And I mean, you know, I, I think it's it's easy and, and you try to hire the people that have that mindset, right? That, that's your goal. But collectively, you want to create a culture where that's the team mindset, right? Because, hey, we all get there. We have hard days where we complain. But how do you build someone up, take them off that ledge, and get to the point where it's about getting to the solution? So we, we I don't want to say the word preach. I don't think that's appropriate. But we talk a lot about it as a leadership team of, you know, we want solutions-oriented people. It's okay to acknowledge the problem, but we ask people to bring a solution. I don't even care if it's the right solution, but, but it, I want people to come to the table like, hey, here's the problem. Here's a couple of recommendations that I have. Can we get on the phone and talk about it? Like, I think it is that simple, but it's amazing when you take that approach, the impact, and, the, and actually you turn it into a positive situation, opposed to it being negative and just kind of lingering and mm-hmm. kind of as a black cloud. So, right. right.
1: And, and, I, and that plays right into take a we, not them approach. I love that. I mean, I've got about 25 stars right next to that. I absolutely love that. Now, how, let's talk about you, Jason, because you've had you've an had unbelievable run in your career. And I mean, you just started, you know, take us through how you got to this point of your thought process and your mindset as a leader and some of the struggles and successes you had on early in your career. And, and if you could, can you talk into a little bit about how significant? a mentor is and who have been some of your better mentors along the way
0: yeah you know I have to say that what a blessing to play to play sports or be a part of athletics or a team right as I look back at my life that that's been such a foundation of of who I am and and I I don't want to say where I've gotten because I always continue to strive to to go further but um, you know that's been such the core of, of, of a lot of the things that I've learned and that goes back to, to Creighton University and you and I have that common bond there I think the difference is you were on some great winning teams and I, and I wasn't right and you know and I was very fortunate in high school you know the team that I was on you know we yep. were <laughs> I think we had six to six division <laughs> one players we we, Let's cut to the chase, we, we we were pretty good I was lucky to be a point guard around a lot of great players um, I think I may have lost six games in my varsity career. We were ranked number seven in the country. Then I get to Creighton, oh. and that's the that's the first time you know the coach who recruited me left. We had a lot of my teammates transfer, mm-hmm. and that's the first time that I was in some significant losing streaks. And I didn't I didn't know how to prepare for that. I hadn't had that experience. So a couple of things happened. You're at a crossroads, right? A lot of my teammates had left do you stay on board and you ride it out when things are really tough? And I, and I remember sitting down talking to my dad in tears many times, like, I don't know if I can handle this. I want to transfer. I want to quit. And, you know, we had those deep conversations around finish what you started lean into the adversity. He always saw, you know, feedback as a gift where a lot of times I felt like the criticism was so intense. I couldn't handle it. And, and even in the, you know, the, the deepest of deep moments in, 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 losing streaks, I think you have to, you have to look at the lessons in defeat and really get an appreciation or a love of the game regardless of the outcome. So I just go back to that period of time because you had talked about adversity. So even before I got into the professional world, that was uh, a, a tough run for me. But, you know, I think, you know, many times as an athlete, as you know, Ed, you're, you're only defined by wins and losses. But in that particular moment, as I look back, I didn't, it didn't come to reality for me then, but I feel like I won now as I look back just for sticking it out during a really tough run. So the only reason I share that example with you is because th- those lessons learned have been able to carry over into my professional life, regardless of sometimes, you know, the deep holes that you get in or the deep challenges that you run up against is going back to those lessons of finish what you started, lean into the adversity and, and appreciate the love of the game and why I'm doing what I'm doing. So, um, so, that, yeah, that's kind of why I brought you back to that, date.
1: Well, and it's, it's so true, though, when you, when you really look at it. And, and you know, we're, you and I are both what people would consider older fathers.
0: <laughs> yeah, but, yeah.
1: But and it's a different time now. It's a different year. And I don't want to go down that road and get off on that tangent. But, you know, these we I think as as the leaders of youth, we're failing them in athletics because we don't allow them to fail. And we don't put mm-hmm. them in situations where they got to learn the lessons. It's going gonna, it's gonna to come back to haunt our generation when their generation's in charge. I mean, that's just the way it is. And it's not saying that they're less of a person than us by no stretch of imagination because really it's on us. But when you, really, yeah. when you really go back to it and you said something to lean into adversity and growing through adversity, not just getting through it. And what you went through was brutal. I mean, you think about it. You lost six games Total in high school, you might have lost six games the first four weeks of the season when you're at Crate. Yeah. And I don't mean no, and I don't mean. Hey, I was on yeah. my dad's worst team. You know, I mean, I I think about that. When my junior year at Palatine, I was on my dad's all-time worst team. If you look at wins and losses. And, and that was, that was brutal, but I look back on it and being able to bounce back the following year and have a really good year that, that taught me, that taught me something and you see it, you see it yeah. in business. So what were yes. some of the, what were some of those early struggles in, in the business world and your professional career that where you had to tap into those lessons?
0: You know, wow. It, it was constant. Like, um, you know, just getting into the, the pharma industry. I mean, I, I started right out of graduate school and just feeling my way around and, and just trying to learn um, from a clinical standpoint. Like, you know, I, I, I was a journalism major. Now I'm getting in, into a very highly clinical conversation with, with physicians who studied, you know, I, countless years to get to the point where they're at in, in treating patients. And I wanted to get to a level where I was respected. So you go back to those those days of the preparation, whether that's athletics or in school and putting in the time to become a clinical expert so you can have better conversations and be respected as it relates to the medical community. So that was probably the biggest challenge for me. I mean, I was, I was sitting down with a dictionary looking up words and trying to figure out how to pronounce some of the words because it was so new to me, um, but it took hours and hours and hours of preparation to then get to the stage where, you know what, I can do this, I'm going to be successful, and I'm very fortunate. Right?
1: What would you have given to have Google back
0: then? All right. Well, I would have loved to have a lot of the technology I mean, today.
1: If you could see the smile I had on my face when you said dictionary, that was awesome.
0: <laughs> uh, so yeah, that, that yeah. you know, it's uh, it's been certainly a, a pretty incredible run. But it's just, and it's a lot of the challenges and things that you're faced with come down to people situations, and and that's where you know, you talk about the athletics of business and being in a team setting. It's all about personal dynamics and, and being conscious of where people come from and their backgrounds and how they see the world. And maybe it's a little bit different. So a lot of the things that I, the areas I've spent the most time has been around people and, and people situations and challenging and motivating and, and managing and leading. And, you know, and fortunate to be in leadership positions, you're, that's, that's your job. It's it's to keep the engine going. And that engine it really centers around people. So uh, that's been, you know, that's where the complexity lives, but that's also where the the greatest reward comes from the relationships that you have over the years. And I love what you just said. That's where the
1: complexity lives, and it is. And and, and I want to go back to a point I was making earlier, and I feel bad if I got away from it. But you are you're amazing at connecting with people. What are some of your keys to success to being? such a networker, such a relationship builder, uh, to really be having the ability to to get people engaged with what you have going. I mean, your ability to build teams and not just build them, but to create uh, environments to have that sustained success on an individual basis and a collective basis.
0: You know, and, I, and I, I didn't get your original question. I think it 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 will mirror up nicely to this question around mentors. And, you know, I was so blessed throughout my life to have individuals who had such a positive impact on me and I I think you'll see a correlation here so there's four people that come to mind I'll start with my dad and and he's he still is and was the first I I can't tell you I think it was every night before I went to bed he would say be a leader not a follower and treat others the way that you want to be treated Mm. he coached all my teams growing up soccer baseball basketball and the the thing about my dad is and as I reflect back now, and even then, the way he treated each kid, whether they struck out every time, or they hit 20 home runs, or they scored all the points, or they didn't even they got off the bench for three minutes, he treated every kid the same. Mm-hmm. He would light up the, the the gym when he walked in, and people wow. would just respond to him, and the energy, and and kids today, I'll run into somebody you know 30 years later, and they'll still yeah. talk about my dad and the impact that he had in their life, and most of the time, it was the kid who didn't play that much. right? right? right. So I was able to see that every day and I don't know if I even knew what was going on. And I think that, you know, a lot of, a lot of those things I was visually seeing and, and I think it just had a huge impact on me without me even knowing. Awesome. And then I think the next stage of my life. So I'm a young kid going into high school. I mean, I was so fortunate and blessed to play for coach Steve Pappas who, yeah. you know, who's unfortunately Best. no longer with us, yeah. but his, his spirit certainly. What, what a guy he was, man right? I mean, what comes to light for me as you talk about connectivity is there was never a time that I ever sensed doubt in him in in what he believed in us. And I don't know if there's ever been a time in my life that I was more confident. And it wasn't cocky, but more confident because he had so much belief in me. Um, I never doubted myself or my capabilities. Never. Every time I took a shot, I thought it would go in, even if I missed seven of them. And the only reason I say that is I, I think about that today. Can, can I have that influence on other people where they believe so much that they can achieve so much because of the belief that I have in him? So he, that still sits with me today. Um, and I've just been so fortunate to have had the time with him um, and, and to be able to kind of observe and but also have that feeling myself. And it's such an awesome feeling. When, when you're, when you are that confident because someone else believes in you probably as much or more than you believe in yourself. That's, that's great. And
1: coach Pappas, he, so do you ever find yourself doing anything and you're kind of like, God, I am, I, all of a sudden I am coach Pappas. That is something coach Pappas would have done.
0: You know? Yeah. Like I I get really fired up for people. I get really excited. (laughs) He was the most emotional, positive person I've ever seen in my life. And uh, he was such an optimist. And I mean, I think about him probably weekly. I mean, a lot. And yeah. I go back and reflect on a lot of the things like him in the huddle. Like you were so fired up. You wanted to just yeah. run through the wall and the wall yeah. behind the wall for him. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. so yeah, like that positive energy is just the best deal in the world. Yeah. Yeah. And then who is the fourth? Oh, running uh, the third. So sorry, third. Yeah. Yeah. Two. yeah. yeah. So, so, so there, there are two more and, and sometimes people know that you're your mentor and sometimes they don't. Um, Someone near and dear to, I think, all of our hearts, and you're going to know immediately, Doc Bevilacqua oh. at Creighton University. Yeah, but, nice. you know, better known as Doc. And um, he was, for, those that, for the listeners, he was the team physician at Creighton for so many years. Oh. And what made him different, and you know this, Ed, you know it as well as anybody, is he treated everybody the same, regardless of your record, right? You could mm-hmm. be you know, 2 and 20 or 20 and 2, um, but he treated everybody as if you were his son and daughter, and he loved you. And that's when I I realized how much someone can be so selfless. He put everybody before himself. And you talk about connectivity. I mean, I, I just, he made you feel like you were at home, even if you were a thousand miles from home. And um, I'll never forget that feeling that I had. And he's still with all of us, I know, in our hearts and in our minds. But um, that was a unique person that to this day has still had an incredible impact on me because you talk about connectivity. How about you just love, love somebody? And, and he he epitomized that he was, that's who he was and um, to be cared for and to know that you're cared about to that level. is pretty extraordinary.
1: And he didn't care. He didn't care what sport you played. He didn't care what, how many points you scored. He didn't care if you get any minutes. I mean, I, I, hell I was a walk on and, and he saved my life. I mean, we had that measles epidemic. He said, I spent, yeah. three, or four nights at his house, you know, because I couldn't, I, I was quarantined. And, and he, you know, to this day, you know, Kevin McKenna, I mean, Kevin still has a uh, picture of of Doc hanging on his office wall or sitting on his on his credenza in his office at the University of Oregon. You know, Doc is yep. still to this day, the one of the biggest men in, in, in his life. Um, I'm sure you remember Kevin Johnson, KJ. I found a picture and Kevin transferred midway through his sophomore year. I found a picture of Doc and Kevin on a trolley. In Italy, and it may have actually, it, it, may, it may have been Milan. It was our first night there, and I sent it to Kevin. And Kevin, I mean, he might have called me every day for a month thanking me. I mean, that's the kind of guy that Doc Bev was.
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I'm smiling right now as yeah. you' are talking about him. Yeah. And uh, and the last person, again, I've, I've what a gift to have. You know, there's been multiple people, but these are the four that have kind of stood out to me, and I think are appropriate for this conversation. Dave Heineck, he's a, a previous manager that I had and the reason he's relevant, and the reason he's so important for a lot of the reasons, he's he's the first person that hired me into a people manager role. So, you know, that that is so critical. You talk about a defining moment in your life or your professional life when you are responsible now for other people's lives and, mm-hmm. and their, their happiness from a corporate standpoint. And you know, their their happiness at work is certainly impacting their happiness at home. And he gave me some very simple advice. Focus on people first and the results will follow. I've never forgotten that. He's the first guy that would call, he'd call everybody regardless of where you lived or the level that you were at in the organization. First thing he would say is, how are you doing and how's your family? It wasn't, what are your business results or what are your sales or, you know, let's talk about business strategies." It was, how are you doing and what can I do for you? And I've, I've used that and, and I've, I've rallied around that and what a huge impact that he's had on my professional life. and. You know, I I think these four people you talk about—selfless leaders and connectivity and belief um, and love—and um, you know, they they're kind of at the core of of who I am, and they've had such a big impact. And I've tried to carry a lot of those lessons in into my professional life.
1: That's awesome. I mean, that's uh, that's some I'll tell you what, Dave's in good company. I, I don't, I would love to meet him. I don't know him, but he's in good company with with your dad and and Steve and Doc and and you know, I love it. Selfless leadership connectivity belief and, and love and and that's where you know you and i the whole you can be a family right? that's where we're where that where that where that all comes from well hey jason this has been this has been awesome i hope you've had as, as much fun as i have and where can people find out more about don pay and where tell us you know are you on linkedin are you on twitter where can people follow you a little bit and watch your success and, and the things that you're doing as a leader
0: yeah no linkedin's probably the best best way to get in contact with me, um, you know, dompe.com, you know, we're, we're uh, we have a, a or Oxervate.com. We have a U.S. website now, or just look up Dompe on the website if you want to learn more about the company. But, you know, I'm in the Chicagoland area, as you and I were talking earlier off the air. I, I live in the Naperville area and I love to engage with other leaders in the community and across the country. I'm, I'm fortunate. I, I work for a company based out of Milan, but our, our head commercial Uh, offices in San Francisco, and we have a medical office in Boston. So I'm willing to to engage with people across the country. And I look forward to learning from a lot of your listeners and other folks that you've had on these podcasts, Ed. And it's been a pleasure, man. Thank you for allowing me to be a part of this. And uh, I've learned a lot just through the conversation. And I've I've smiled a lot. I've gotten goosebumps. And uh, just some of the memories, going down memory lane with someone I respect a tremendous amount has been a lot of fun. Well, thanks, Jason. We
1: we probably had to to contain ourselves because there's a lot more stories that we could have told about uh, Doc and Coach Pappas. Matter of fact, when we get done here, I am going to tell you my favorite Coach Pappas story. But but hey, uh, (laughs) listen, follow follow us on Twitter, uh, the Molitor Group, and you know obviously themolitorgroup.com dot com to learn more about what we do uh, as uh, as an organization. Um, Also on. Instagram at Molotor and on LinkedIn. Love LinkedIn. It's a, it's a, it's a great platform. Absolutely love that. Uh, you can find other unbelievable episodes uh, because of our guests, nothing to do with me because of our guests uh, on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, uh, and also check out the podcast website theathleticsofbusiness.com and please rate us review us thumbs up thumbs down let us know what you think on iTunes because the more of those we get the more people we can reach and the more value we can add Jason thanks a lot
0: thanks bud appreciate it thank you for listening to the Athletics of Business be sure to give us a rating and review so we know how we're doing for more information about the show visit theathleticsofbusiness.com now get out there think act and execute at the highest level to unleash your greatness.